0: your attention to page 9 of your bulletin or to Matthew chapter 5, if you brought a copy of God's Word. Again, page 9 of the bulletin or Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing our journey through the Beatitudes. We are continuing our journey into the entrance of the Sermon on the Mount, and as we do so, we continue to look at the Beatitudes, which are found in verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 5. So hear these words again. Hear the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower falls. For the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. Well, as you know, uh, my wife, April, and I are the parents of young children, Wyatt and Channing, nine and seven. And so thankfully, most of our parenting battles, relatively speaking, are minor. We are very aware that as we enter into uh, parenting of the teen years and beyond, that the stakes get higher and the difficulties and dilemmas we face only get more advanced and more involved and so thankfully at their age our dilemmas and difficulties our problems our arguments are again by comparison relatively minor and so in no particular order here are the biggest battles that we fight and I've mentioned some of these before okay here in no particular order one is bedtime bedtime right always a battle, right? Who wants to go to bed early? Nobody wants to go to bed early. So it's always, a, you know, a struggle to to enforce bedtime, to, to get them to desire, you know, a full night's rest. So bedtime is one of the battles, of course, that we fight as parenting young, young children. Uh, who takes the first shower? Okay, I've mentioned that before. I think that's like a huge blessing. I want the first shower always, uh, but our kids don't see it that way. You know, no kid likes to be clean, and so even the first shower is, you know, you got to kind of you know, work on that, and so we do a coin flip. I told you, and it becomes like this high stakes poker game. All right, it's super high stakes. Who takes the first shower? We do a coin flip. All right, but who takes the first shower? That's one of the things that we fight and wrestle with in our in our home. Screen time, right? Screen time, particularly for this generation, TV, tablets, all video games. Right? Screen time. No amount is ever enough. We always have to. You know, again, enforce parameters and boundaries and convince them that you don't want to, you know, go cross-eyed looking at a screen all day, but there is healthy balance and moderation and all those kinds of things. And then lastly, lastly, diet and eating habits, okay? Diet and eating habits. There's this constant struggle in our home, and I'm imagining, again, for those who have young children, this constant struggle to see that our kids finish their plates at dinner. To see that our kids are truly nourishing themselves on what will fill them up and what will satisfy them, what will enable them to grow, you know, into healthy adults. That we don't have a lot of trouble uh, getting them to finish a meal or finish a snack, let's say, of just like empty carbs, Right? You know, goldfish or crackers, or there's no trouble uh, enabling or seeing our kids finish. You know, a, a big bowl of candy, right? That's easy. You've heard me say before that my daughter, particularly, will say that oh, my dinner side is full, but my dessert side is still empty, right? It's amazing how they don't want to finish their dinner, but then they all of a sudden have this you know voracious appetite for dessert. And for sweets. So again, there's no problem when it comes to them cleaning their plate or their bowl or whatever if it's full of empty carbs, if it's full of sugary things and desserts. But it's doubly hard if it's what's actually good for them, right? A well-balanced meal with protein and with vegetables and vitamins and all those kinds of things. And that's pretty normal. But again, what happens if we just let them eat cake all day or just let them eat sugary things, what will happen? They'll, of course, be malnourished. They won't be satisfied. And so, again, we want our kids, and you want the same thing for you, right, yourself, to be eating full balanced meals, proteins, and vegetables, and uh, fruits, and, you know, nutritious things that will certainly satisfy. Moderation in the other things. And again, that's true even for us, us as adults, right? We struggle with this. All of us struggle to have a healthy diet. I'm the the one who stands up here all the time and uses, you know, fast food illustrations. I love fast food, as you know. But again, fast food doesn't satisfy you. It satisfies in the moment. You feel full for the moment, but then what happens an hour later? You're hungry again. Or you feel lousy, probably, when you eat fast food, right? It feels good in the moment, then you feel lousy later. I'm always reminded, if you get a fast food order in your car... It smells great when you first eat it, right? It tastes great. Have you ever gone back to your car like 20 minutes later to get something? The odor of fast food 20 minutes later is terrible. You're like, what's happening? What did I just eat? Right? So again, nourishing ourselves on things that satisfy and avoiding the things that might make us feel full for the moment, but don't actually Satisfy. If we can understand that concept and hold on to that concept, then we understand here the idea behind the fourth beatitude, these words of Christ where he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As we're well aware, Scripture says, teaches us that what God says happens. God is the one who spoke the world into existence. Let there be light and there was light. God is the one who is the promise-making and promise-keeping God. We know Jesus here as he speaks is the embodiment of that word of God, right? He is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. We know from Scripture that we're told all of God's promises find their yes. They find their confirmation in Jesus. And so that's important for us to remember as we come to the Beatitudes, as we come to this fourth one this morning, because what Jesus says then happens will happen. If we truly hunger and thirst for the right things, namely righteousness, Christ promises us we will be filled. We will be satisfied. And so knowing that then, we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we? Are we? Are you satisfied this morning? Am I? Are you content and full in this life? Am I? And if we're not, if we're not, then we have to ask ourselves, why? Why? Why am I not satisfied? Why am I not content? Why do I not feel filled up in this life? Because my hunch is that it's not for lack of consumption. It's not for lack of consumption. It's similar to when, again, to go back to our house, if my kids go to bed and they mention as again, we're trying to get them to bedtime, that they're hungry, I guarantee you, you do not need to to report us, okay? They are well fed. But what happens usually is that leading up to bedtime, they did not eat what they were supposed to, or they ate the wrong thing, which doesn't satisfy them, and it didn't last. So when they came to bedtime, then again, they are hungry. So it, it was consumption of the wrong things that then led to this lingering hunger later in the evening. And it's the same thing for us. Are we satisfied in this life? Are we full and content in this life? Or are we perpetually hungry spiritually? Are we perpetually thirsty spiritually? And again, if we are, I'm assuming it's not for lack of consumption, but rather taking into our hearts and minds the wrong things. The wrong things. Because again, we are consuming physically, but but again, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, psychologically, we are are consuming all day long. So again, our hunger and our thirst is often not from lack of consumption, but from consumption of the wrong things. Because again, Christ says here, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, what happens? We're filled if we hunger and thirst for the protein, if you will, of the gospel, what happens, Christ promises, is that we will be filled, we will be satisfied. But again, if we feast on the wrong things, we find ourselves empty. So as we consider that in our own lives, as we consider this verse, I want us to think of just three words together, three words that help us really flesh this out. The three words are this, if you're taking notes. Idolatry, immorality, and then Emmanuel. Idolatry, immorality, and Emmanuel. Often what happens is the wrong diet spiritually, or the life that comes up empty, or the life that comes up unfulfilled, is often found in the person who is pursuing good things, who is pursuing good goals, but what happens is that oftentimes, sometimes even unintentionally, we become consumed by those goals. We become consumed by that pursuit. Over time, what happens is that we allow those good things to become ultimate things. We become those, allow those good things to become ultimate things. We allow those things, if you will, to be God, in place of God, and that is always the root or the definition of idolatry. Good things that we put in the place of God, good things that we allow to become ultimate things, created things, as Paul says in Romans, that we put above the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. This is, this is the root of idolatry. And again, we can see how this works in our lives. Perhaps the feeling of emptiness that some of us experienced this morning, the feeling of hunger or thirst, is grounded in our desire for something good. If we are single, we'd like to be married. If we're married and without kids, we would like to have kids. If we are married with kids, maybe we wish they were more successful. We want kids who make straight A's. We want kids who get scholarships, whatever it might be, right? Perhaps in our careers, we would like a promotion. We would like more recognition. We would like advancement. In our finances, we would like flourishing. In our country, let's say, we would like to see a return to Christian principles, right? Whatever it might be, these are good things. And there's countless examples that we could look to in our lives. These are good things. Again, things that God has given, God has blessed, but we desire them so strongly that we put them in the place of God, which is the very definition of an idol. And so then what happens is we run after these things and we chase after these things with, again, our full heart and our full mind and our full pursuit. But then when we don't receive them exactly as we wanted, when we don't receive them exactly as we had hoped for, then what happens? We feel empty. We feel empty. We feel unfulfilled. We feel unsatisfied. This is the root of idolatry. But it even sometimes runs deeper than that. Sometimes, sometimes, again, these good things we actually do receive. We get everything we ever hoped for. We get great kids. We get the big house. We get the successful career. But then what happens? Is it enough? No. It's never enough. We still want more. We still feel unsatisfied. And again, it's because in that moment, we are placing the full burden of our expectations. We are placing the full burden of our identity upon these things that are never intended to carry that weight. We are trying to make these things God and place upon them the God burden that, again, only God himself is strong enough to carry. And so, again, as we consider this, we have to ask ourselves, are we hungry and thirsty and unfulfilled this morning because we are ultimately chasing an idol? We have to ask ourselves that question. We have to do that heart check all the time. Are we unfulfilled? Are we unsatisfied? Are we hungry and thirsty because we're ultimately chasing an idol? But let's consider the second idea, that of immorality. So if the first thing is idolatry, the second is immorality. And I would, I would, I would encourage you to think of it this way. If the scenario that I just mentioned, us chasing idols, us, again, uh, chasing good things but making them ultimate things, that would be similar to, again, when we feast on empty carbs. Things that look good, things that aren't necessarily bad, but again, things that won't fill us, that can't satisfy us, that will leave us empty. But if we're honest, if we're honest, we also know that we are people who can flat out consume things which will harm us. We can flat out consume things which we know are destructive. They're not just neutral. They're not just unsatisfying, empty carbs look good but aren't the real thing. But we can, if we're honest, actually consume things which we know will kill us, which we know will harm us, which we know will work destruction in our lives. And of course, we can think of things like substance abuse. We can think of things like alcohol abuse. But we can even think of things more common than that, right? Again, foods loaded with chemicals, foods loaded with cholesterol, saturated fat, or whatever we want to say, right? But again, over time, will ultimately harm us and will work us harm, will destroy us. Well, again, this beatitude forces us to ask the question this way then. Are we unfulfilled? Are we unsatisfied? Because we're looking at things smaller than God, idols, or are we unfulfilled and are we unsatisfied this morning because we're actually looking and feasting upon things which will hurt us, which will destroy us, which work us harm? Are we feasting on things that are flat out immoral, unrighteous, against the will of God, against his character, against his revealed law? Are we feasting On those things, instead of what we know the word tells us is good and true and beautiful. So again, the question is, our appetite, one that has been cultivated, not for righteousness, but for unrighteousness, a slide into practices and postures and priorities that run counter to God's goodness. Sin that we know, we've been told again in God's word, that roams around like a prowling lion looking for one to devour, and if we're honest, we've become that person. Have we allowed sin to crouch at the door desiring to rule over us, and again, instead of stamping it out, little by little we gave in until now it has had mastery over us? Well, again, if this is the case, just like idolatry, with immorality, with unrighteousness, we will continue to feast and to feed, but ultimately it will never be enough. We will always come up empty. We will consume, but it will ultimately consume us. And again, I think this is important for us to realize because we tend to think that the spiral of addiction is only with with substances, but it's not. It's not, as we know, that we can be appetitive creatures prone to addictions of all kinds, the the, the addiction of of destructive thoughts, the, the addiction of destructive relationships. And again, in either case, because it's not what God intends, it will never give us what we're looking for. It will never truly satisfy us? And so again, that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we hungry? Are we thirsty? Are we unfulfilled this morning? Because we're ultimately chasing after and feeding upon something that we know in our hearts to be wrong, that we know in our hearts to be unrighteous. These are the questions before us. But if those are the questions, then what's the answer? What's the answer? In either position that we find ourselves in, we are to look where? Is there a, a spiritual protein bar we can take and make it all go away? Is there a magic, you know, spiritual diet pill? No, as we no, there's not. But thankfully, Scripture tells us there's something better. There's something more. There's a deeper magic to use that great phrase by CS Lewis, and it is what? It is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, that last word, Emmanuel, it is God with us, namely Jesus, God who came down for us, God who promises to be with us even in our struggles. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy these desires that we talk about, the desire for meaning, the desire for purpose, the desire for fulfillment and significance, contentment, identity, That Jesus is the one who stands behind all of these good things that we can look to. Again, family, career, jobs, finances, all these good things that we often look to. Well, behind them stands one who gives all of those things. Behind them stands one who is the ultimate giver, namely Jesus. And what in the gospel are we promised? We're promised that he gives himself to us. That he is the ultimate treasure that he gives. And that's a reminder because all of, again, these good things that we seek will ultimately fade. They will fade. All the good things we seek will ultimately fade, but Christ, the true treasure, remains. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so again, when we direct properly our appetites, when we properly direct our hunger and our thirst towards him, the true source of righteousness, the embodiment of righteousness, we find then that we are filled, we are satisfied by his forgiveness, by his favor, and by the fellowship that we have with him. But what about if we're in the pit? If Emmanuel is the answer to our idolatry, if, again, Jesus, the ultimate giver, is the answer to when we chase after those smaller gifts that often come from his hand instead of himself, well, then what's the answer for when we're in the pit? When we find ourselves, again, thinking about our lives ensnared in things unspeakable, ensnared in unrighteousness, ensnared in immorality, the quicksand that seems to be dragging us down. Again, where do we look? We look to Jesus. We look to Emmanuel. And what do we find? We find that just like the prodigal son, just like the prodigal son who actively went out against the father's will, or wishes, rather, like the one who went out and only fed himself on that which will harm him, Only fed himself on that which will ultimately destroy him. But what happened? He finally woke up. He came to his senses. And he ran back to the father. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was desperate. And what happened? The father welcomed him back. The father opened up his arms wide. And that's the same thing with us. This morning, we might find ourselves ensnared in the pit. We might find ourselves ensnared in the quick sand again of unrighteousness. And yet in that moment when we look to Jesus, when we look to Emmanuel, He always takes us back, He always receives us back. When we repent, as we did earlier in our service with our confession, Jesus washes us, He renews us. And over time, the power of his spirit does transform us and it gives us new hearts. It gives us new appetites. And so again, even in that moment, where do we look? We look to Jesus. And we allow him to remind us that he ultimately came to give us that living water. That living water which truly satisfies Our thirst that gives us the life abundant that we truly, truly desire. No matter where we find ourselves this morning, chasing after idols, in the quicksand of unrighteousness, we look to Emmanuel. We look to what he gives us each and every week. We run to him wholeheartedly, and we find that he always welcomes us back, always renews us, always refreshes us with his grace. Think of the song that we sang last week, and we've, we've sung it many times. O come to the altar. It says this Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. You see, again, wherever we find ourselves, ensnared in idolatry, ensnared in unrighteousness, the answer is always the righteousness of Jesus. That and that alone will satisfy us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and how it convicts us. Lord, we even now admit those places in our lives that we are seeking to satisfy us, which we know ultimately cannot. And Lord, here now, even in the quietness of our hearts, we give them over to you. We give you our Appetites, We give you our hunger, our thirst. We hand over to you those things which we keep chasing after, which can't satisfy us. Lord, Lord would you make us mindful of them even now? And Lord, would you, I pray, through this word and ultimately through your spirit, cultivate afresh within us all an appetite for righteousness, a hunger and thirst for what can only be found in the gospel, what can only be found in the merits of Christ given for us. So Lord, we again repent of our unrighteousness and we cling afresh, we cling with tighter grip to your righteousness for us in Christ, So bless us, we pray, Lord. Empower us, we pray, to not just hear this word and allow it to pass through our heads and out, but would you enable us to now be doers of your word, to leave here seeking after you, seeking after your kingdom first and foremost, following after you, We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.